Hello, and welcome to Endeavors. On today's show, award-winning songwriter, R&B singer, musician, Chin and Jetty, and actress, Carmela Zimbato. That's all coming up on Endeavors. Radio with your host, from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McPeak. Well, hi there. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. My first guest is a Canadian singer, musician, and record producer who got his start as a founding member of the Juno Award-winning group Bass is Bass, alongside Roger Mooking and Ivana Sintilli. Since then, he has frequently collaborated with a number of hip-hop stars, including Dr. Dre, 50 Cent, Drake, Clips, and Eminem, for which he has won two Grammy Awards. He's also worked with Lecrae, garnering another Grammy Award, Pink, Aloe Black, and has opened for Jamiroquai, Rio Statics, Crash Test Dummies, Bare Naked Lady, Michelle and Diocello, Cypress Hill, Busta Rhymes, and the late, great James Brown. He's collaborated with other Canadian artists, including Bedouin Soundclash, The Canadian Tenors, Mad Child, Estero, who appears on his new single, Falling, alongside Delhi to Dublin's Tarun Nair. This is my conversation with Chin Njeti. Chin Njeti, how, how are you? How, how, how are things? Things are good, man. Things are good. Everything is love. You, you, you mentioned that you know, th- this time period for you has been a time of conditioning, um, in a way. How, how was yeah, that, yeah. how was that conditioning uh, affected your artistry at all, do you think? Deeply. It affected deeply. Uh, I'm not making things frantically. I'm picking and choosing who I want to work with and what I want to work with. And, in all of that, I'm finally making space for myself in my artistry because what I do is mostly produce records and make records for other people. And this time around, because the world shut down and I had this incredible opportunity to spend all this time in isolation. I was in Toronto for like three months with my mom at the beginning of COVID. And that's when I started like really you know, observing my mom and watching how she lives and she's really a prayerful, thoughtful person and all those things really rubbed off on me and I was checking my spiritual journey. I'm a Christian and uh, I know it always turns people off when I say that because immediately they think like, oh, you're a Jesus freak and you're this and you're that. But for me, I, I grew up in the church and I didn't always practice it. And then it took me an entire lifetime to figure out my relationship with God and my faith. So this time allowed me to reconnect with it. But what I realized is just that my purpose is to just be myself and let people see God in me and 
make music that I resonate with and things that I want to talk about and things that I've, I've always escaped because I get lost in the whole, the franticness of, of the music business, right? Yeah. So I actually had some time to write some music for myself and here we are talking about it, you know? Well, you know, I mean, I, did, I didn't know that you're a Christian, but I, I don't necessarily think that should surprise a lot of people because you've always, you know, your R&B, you've always made very soulful music. And, you know, if it wasn't for the Negro spiritual, if, if I can use that term, there wouldn't be a lot of <laughs> modern music today. Um, how, how do you mm -hmm. think art and, and spirituality are, are intertwined? Oh, they're completely connected. It's all the same. Every, we all just adhere to dif different um, spiritual practices in our music. Some people attract the darkness. Some people attract the light. Some people want to be teachers. Some people entertain. But there's a spirit in all of it, right? And there's a spirituality about all of it. Some people pray before they go on stage. Some people meditate, some people, you know, have their rocks, their, you know, their crystals and their, you know, everyone has a, a, a way of doing it. And, and for me, for me, it's like this. My whole life is a gift from God and it's been an amazing life, ups and downs. It's been an amazing life, but somehow it, it took the world to shut down for me to open again, you know, to God to shut the entire like earth down, you know, like the animals were coming around again. The sky was clearer. The no more planes in the sky, the streets in Toronto, like were clear at, in the beginning of all this and it gave me clarity. So the first thing I wrote about is, you know, how I was dealing with loss for the last nine years and dealing with my dad, passing away and how it affected me and how it affected my family. And it was like a nice to get a bird's eye view of it, you know? Yeah. So, and for me, there's, you know, God, God isn't all of it for me. I, I, I think, you know, you mentioned loss and I, we've all experienced some sort of loss in our life, but I think it can take us a while to truly process it partly because the world moves mm -hmm. so fast. How do you think, you yes. know, be, be, because this pandemic has caused us to to slow down um, in, in a lot of ways, how do you think that changes how we process certain emotions, especially one like, like grief? It gives us time to think. It gives us time to look at things in every perspective and in, in time. It just gives us the time. You know, it takes, we're, we're more patient with ourselves and we're more um, gentle and caring with, with whatever's going on inside us, you know. And a lot of times if you look on social media, like every other person is posting something about healing or being gentle or self-care. And, and, and a lot of the times, not that I'm questioning anyone's integrity, but when I see these people posting these things and the way they're living in real life, the two of them don't match. And, and after a while, it becomes like, it becomes all that, that thing that they do when they're online, right? I don't really do that. I don't really, I talk about what, who I am and what I do. 
and I never beat you over the head with Jesus. Like I never like, you know, I, I, I might put a scripture up in my stories because it's inspired me for that day. And also it's, it's beautiful poetry and, and it's a beautiful book and there's a lot of beautiful books, but I'm just kind of like, I want to be able to practice what I preach. So the only way I could do that is just by slowing down, thinking about what I'm saying and also remembering that there's a logic to all of it, that you're not supposed to go out there and try to convert people and win people over and control people and tell them they're being bad and judging them and, and this and that. You're just supposed to live. You're supposed just to live a good life. And, and, and if you believe in God, know that God's at the center of it. And, and even that, if you don't, you just live a good life. And, and for me to be able to write, a song about the loss of my father was like the loss of my family because sometimes death pulls people apart, especially families that tears families apart and then puts us back together. And and in that time, I've had relationships that have broken. I've had relationships that are slowly mending, and you know, it's, it's just the, it's just life. And 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 uh, this whole pandemic period has allowed me to focus on things that I never give time to. Sorry for that long-winded answer. <laughs> um, you know, you, you mentioned it, it, it's been nine years, but how, like, just lyrically, because the, there, the, your lyrics to Falling are subtly powerful. Was it easy for you to, to write this song about your father after all these years? Only after all these years, yeah. I couldn't do it before. Yeah, there's something comfortable about just sitting in a room and I know that my mom's next door. And also I know that all his pictures and all his poems, he was a singer, and all his music was at, at, my, at my disposal. I could listen to it. So really being in his space really uh, brought that out. Is, is, it, is it a catharsis in, in some way? when when these types of songs are are written and performed because they are just that much more personal and they're they're almost they almost act as a healer in a way yeah yeah it's therapy totally mm -hmm. you um and you, also, you uh you also got to collaborate with with your good friends uh Estero, who i love and uh mm -hmm. Tarun, um, from Delhi to Dublin, uh, on this song. For you, yeah. what what was the importance of of bringing in collaborators for a song like this? Um, so I had released the song earlier in in a different version on on Spotify, and that version was really produced, and it was it was keyboard driven, and it was really I was listening to Francis and the Lights, and and it inspired me to record this song. But then I rethought everything and I picked up an acoustic guitar and I sang and I gave it to, to Tarun and, and I said, can you play tabla on it? Because my dad sang classical Indian music. He did and it was beautiful. And then I thought, wait a minute. I wonder if Astera would do this because she's very picky about what she works with. And, and I made records with her and we're really, she's one of my best friends. And I asked her, I asked her, I thought about it and she was so kind. 
She said, yeah, I'll sing it. And she got on it and it was wonderful. And I heard it, I had tears in my eyes because it really brought me closer to the feeling of my father. And, and um, it wasn't like something I planned. It wasn't something that I was like, oh, then I'll get a stare on this song and I'll get to root. It was, it was more like, yo, you know what? I think I would like to have a tabla on it. You know, everybody's going for big beats and lots of programming and let's dance in the club sounds. And I was kind of like, I want to, while everyone's going for the bottom, I'm, I'm good without the bottom in this time of my life. I just want to write a song and sing it. And that's what happened. And they really blessed it, man. You know, you, you mentioned how an earlier version had, had a keyboard. Sonically, and, you know, sort of, I guess, the, the overall message, if there is a message you, you, that you are trying to put across with this song, how, how does a, a guitar do that in, in a way that a, a, something like a keyboard doesn't, even, even though they are both stringed instruments? This is visceral thing that happens when you sing and play a guitar because it's percussive and melodic at the same time. And, and then you could hear the imperfections of your fingers on the fretboard and you could hear the, the cadence of the chord against the lyric. And that's just, oh, that's why we love folk music. It's just so from the earth, you know? And I think this song needed to be that. Uh, we also, you know, you obviously collaborated in this song. You've been all about, um, collaboration in, in your career you know with early on with Ivana and Roger and then with DJ Khalil and mm -hmm. as a producer you've worked with 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 many other people I know you, mm -hmm. you've worked with Cypress and Busta and TLC and you've worked you know you've worked with people like Lecrae uh Drake Clips I could go on and on but yeah uh no, oh, only to drop a, a few good Canadian names in there um but but for you what 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 has why has collaboration become such an inherent part of of the art that you make? Do you think? I'm sorry. What was say the question one more time? Oh yeah, uh, just with everybody that you've collaborated with, uh, you know, some musicians stick with their own band, some do solo. But for you, why has the the art of collaboration, working with other people, whether it's as a songwriter or a producer? Why has that become such an integral part of the art that you make? Oh, oh my God, are you kidding? Uh, we're collaborative creatures in every part of life. And music is just a part of life. And the music's also this universal language. And what's a language if you speak it to yourself, you're just muttering, right? And when I speak it with somebody else, and it makes it better can ever be or sometimes like a lot of it don't it doesn't work out but in my case there's no me without collaboration you know i could write i could write a song by myself i can make an entire production by myself but i know like as soon as say you touch it it just puts it into a whole new life and it gives a whole new feeling new humanity we will right played by friends produced by friends mixed by and blah 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 i don't believe that for a second he's one of my artists right i believe that he had all those things but some other human being touched it even if it's in like sometimes you can sit in a room and somebody could say like blah 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 and blah 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 might be the most important part of the song you know what i mean and and that's why 
collaboration is so important if you're open to it, you know? And eventually everybody collaborates and on some level, every artist has to, otherwise you're not really, you know, being the best version of yourself. You know, we, I, I, I did mention um, Basis Bass there, which was, of course, your great group with uh, Ivana and, and Roger. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think people underestimate the great history of, of hip-hop and R&B in Canada. We've had a lot of great artists um, in, in, yes. in, that, in, in, in that genre. Yes. Where do you, have, have you accepted your place uh, as one of the, the, the greats of Canadian hip-hop? And where do you think we, we are now in, in, in terms of that kind of music in this country? Funny, that's a funny question to me because I've accepted it more than most people have accepted it. <laughs> because I, I think my group, I think we're pioneers, first of all. I think what we did, we were like Black Eyed Peas before the Black Eyed Peas. We, it was in, it were the quintessential Toronto sound, right? You have a Trinidadian guy, Indian guy, and Italian girl. That's not going to happen anywhere else, but it's Toronto. <laughs> And that's only going to happen in the 90s in Toronto. We were so ahead of our time. Then on top of that, what we, what we accomplished literally cracked the door open for everything that came after us, that became bigger than us. Like everything from Cardinal to Socrates to all, that whole thing, that whole generation of great rap music, that didn't happen before us. We, we opened the industry. Those kids might, be, might have been making that music, but we opened the industry's eyes to other stuff. After us, publishers, publishers were signing other beat makers and then they signed Jack Soul and then uh, Track and Field and, and, and Philosopher Kings became what they became. And we did it all indie. You know, so I, I'm proud of what we've, um, I'm, that's the first half of the question. So I'm proud and I feel like we are a very integral part, whether we get the credit for it in publications or not we're pretty important to what happened in Canada, right? Yeah. As a whole. And, and I know in Ontario, there's a few textbooks that we're in, but, but I think like, I really, I mean, yeah, I think we're the pioneers of it. Like it literally came from the Toronto scene. We weren't created, a record company didn't swap, uh, shove us down people's throats. They came to us, we didn't go to them. And the other half of it, the question, what was the other half of the question? Do I, oh, where, where do you think, where do you think Canadian hip hop is, is today? Oh, it's the most important force in music. It's the, the biggest artist in, on the planet is from Toronto. And that sound is Toronto. That culture is Toronto, which is an amalgam of many cultures, right? Yes. You got the and even even it's in pop music. You can't even have uh, a Canadian sound as a, you just mentioned it. With, you can't have that without like it's in everything. It's in country music, man. It's like it's everywhere. So it's important. It's very important. I uh, you know we we did mention that you, one of the people you've worked with is Drake, who's Toronto's favorite son yeah. now. Um, you, pe the world. people like. Yeah, exactly. The world's, you know, people like him and uh, Abel, uh, the, the weekend, yeah. another great Canadian hip hop artist. Do you see your, your, your younger self in them at all? Like, like, do you, do you see kind of any similarities of with where you were and where they are now? Of course, of course I do. Absolutely do. I absolutely do. Oh, 
you know, you one one of the things that you mentioned with with bases base is that it it came very organically. It was very independent. There was no company mm -hmm. behind it. Yeah. You know, and I I think we're getting back to that. You know, the the early two thousands, we had a lot of the manufactured pop, the Britneys, the Christinas, the Lady Gagas, yeah. the Katy Perrys, and there is a market for that music, sure. But how do how do less hands involved in a project maybe enhance the creative sound of the artist that is creating it? It it, it just focuses it. It makes it more authentic. Uh, it might sometimes it might take longer, but at least you know what's coming out of it is going to be real. And but then again, on the flip side, some artists need direction. But mostly, I think that's what happens. What's happening in Toronto right now is like exactly that. Literally, people don't need record labels. The A and R people, no disrespect, but they're obsolete. They're too old. They don't know. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what's going on. The kids do. So, so does 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 that make it then? easier to make music and get it out there or is it harder because the market is just that much more saturated no it makes it easier but getting something out and supporting something is different so if the creative really works i think once it comes out it needs an infrastructure that literally the record companies don't need to be a part of the creative process at all they just need to give out that money when the artist and their team needs it you know yeah you know, it strikes me that, you know, we, we especially in, in, in the hip-hop world, we see a lot of artists go from performing to producing and, and songwriting for others. Was that a, a natural transition for you? Uh, yes and no. I always loved music, but I never planned on being a producer I thought I was going to be an artist but then as soon as I did that I realized I'm not cut out to be an artist I don't like being in front of the camera I don't want to be a celebrity I don't I don't like the I like the anonymity I didn't like being in airports in every part of North America and people recognizing me and and people following me home and people sending me like really nice mail but also sending me hate mail like I wasn't ready for all of it you know it just, and I still get it. People like will see uh, an interview and judge me and saying, "Oh, you said that thing, so you're this." You know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't want any of that. So I really respect. I can't imagine what it means to be Drake or Weekend or Justin Bieber or, you know, that you have a thick skin. And I'm just not, not, not only. I'm just not interested in that, man. I just, I like, I'm at home on Saturday and I'm hanging out with my family and I'm talking to you. And after this, I'm gonna go into the mountains and, you know, I, I like that. You know, you, you've you've toured with all different kinds of bands, American, mm -hmm. Canadian, others. Do you do you find that you know if if you're in the state somewhere that just the 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 idea of celebrity is is treated differently than it is in a country like Canada? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's been decades since I've been on that end of things. But yeah, from what I remember, we're way more down to earth here. If you see a famous person on the street in Toronto, it's like, okay, great, next. We're, we're Irish that way. <laughs> you know, we don't really care, but we do. We respect our own, but we're not going to, like, hassle them. You, you know, it strikes me that 
I mean, all all art is 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 political in a way, but but hip hop is very much a, a, a political art form, a, a political statement. Um, you know, as someone who's been both on the stage and and behind the scenes, what what do you make of especially with this moment that we're in with with everything that's happening about artists becoming more vocal in 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 their politics and 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 supporting you know social justice movements or 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 causes that they believe in um i think it's fantastic i think the people who are doing it there's only few people that are actually doing it just to you know go to the beginning of that question hip-hop is pop now it's pop it's not political there's a few of them that are political everything else is about selling records and a lifestyle and even that lifestyle is not real women all not all women are like what's her name you know not all artists are trying to not all people are just focusing in their life on being rich and doing drugs and acting stupid it's just entertainment that's all it's become but then the few that have something to say is wonderful and it's needed and it's necessary so um it's powerful that's all i could say it's a great thing when it when people use it it's the right vehicle you know but artists don't have to artists choose to be political but you don't think that they have to be necessarily no they can do whatever they want yeah yeah you know you 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 talk about why why you wanted uh Tarun to to collaborate with you on falling you know your your dad was, was because your dad was such a great musician do you think for you it was always a foregone conclusion that that you would follow in his footsteps no i didn't think so but he was also supportive when i did like he built me a recording studio in my brother's bedroom when my brother left for school i knew he i think vicariously he was living through me you know um, you, I, I know you were, you were born in India in, in Hyderabad, and there is a long tradition of really great um, Indian music, of course. Ravi Shankar is yeah. the, the, the one on the top of everybody's list. How much of, of, of that culture is inherent in, in any of your music or any of your work? It's the essence of my being is that I'm a South Indian man who grew up here and I grew up with my culture. I know my language. I love my family. I know my history. But the music I grew up on is Stevie Wonder, the Bee Gees, the Beatles, ABBA, Tribe Called Quest. It goes on and on and on, right? Unfortunately, I wish there was more of the music in my heart. But, but I mean, in my music, have that influence. But I think just being me, it's about as Indian as like I can get, but I'm not, I mean, it's in me. I can fake it, but I don't want to. Yeah. I've heard it all my life. You know, I can sit there and go, Sonny, come up on the music. I, I can do all that. I can do that, but it's fake. I'm faking it. You know, it's not right. what I grew up on. We, you know, we, we, I often hear stories about, you know, artists or, or whoever, you know, that they were raised in a certain culture, drifted away from it, and then kind of, came back to it when it was older and uh -huh. you know you were talking about how how the quarantine you sort of looked at your your faith and spirituality in a different way and, and India has always been uh, a very spiritual place for a lot of people for you were, were, were the two things tied together when you looked at re-examining your spirit spirituality did you also start to look at your 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 
background in, in, in your Indian culture in a different way at all? No, because I grew up Christian, even in India. My, my mom, my grandfather was a pastor. So Christianity has been in my family for years and years and years and years. So my Indian culture is me and my, my faith is universal. One, my belief, my, like my, my belief in Jesus has nothing to do with me being Indian. Right. It has to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. One other aspect that, that uh, I learned recently about you, you were uh, a featured speaker at TEDx uh, a number yeah. of years ago, uh, talking about the, the healing properties of music, which, which we've touched on um, a, a, a little bit here. How, sure. did, how, how did that come about? And what, what were you trying to, trying to say in, in such a public talk like that? I just basically thought I said it, but I was trying to say that um, it's it's healing. It got me where I am today. It helped me physically and spiritually. And everything else is the details of what I went through to come to that conclusion. You know, as as an artist, whether we're actors or, or musicians, we often play a character. And when, when we do a speech like that, we are ourselves. Uh, what, what Was it difficult for you to sort of get up there and talk as yourself rather than rather than this lyricist no no i just i went up there and i looked at it as a performance because it is performative you know there's that energy to it and and it, it was me but a little more exaggerated version of me like all of us when we hit a stage even teachers when teachers are in front of a class they're a little louder a little more boisterous a little more animated and I'm still me, but it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me because a big chunk of my live show is me connecting with people, talking, you know? So, yeah, it was, it was natural. Um, you've, you've won a Juno. You've won a Much Music Video Award. You've won a SoCan Award. You're on the uh, – you have a star on Vancouver's Walk of Fame. Do, do any is, – is there one award that – means more to you than the others are all of them different or is is that something you accolades aren't really something you pay attention to all that much yeah i i'm so grateful i think the most thing the like i won three grammys and i'm really grateful for it like how lucky am i right yeah. but it doesn't define me it, it 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 was a bigger deal to the rest of the world than me it changed my life for sure but not right. because i changed as a person everybody else changed <laughs> so i don't even have them i don't even put them on display they're in boxes in the basement of my studio or here it, it strikes me in a way that all these awards especially the, the the big public ones that we see are almost more for the fans than than for the artists them, themselves um wh what do you think of you know this sort of award show culture and th this culture of you know, recognizing people that we admire in, in that way. Sometimes it's profound and some of the speeches are amazing and other times it's just entertainment. It's not a biggie. I, I wish I had a better answer, but that's pretty no, it, it, Hey, it, your, your, your answer is your answer, right? I mean, I, I, yeah. I get it. Um, you've, you've toured with, so many people, the Fugees, the Roots, Jamiroquai, mm -hmm. Tribe Called mm -hmm. Quest, mm -hmm. Bare Naked, Bare Naked Ladies, mm -hmm. out of Michelle and Di Giocello, 
out of all the people that you've toured with or, or, or all the tours that you've been on, the shows that you've partaken in, is there a kind of a, maybe, maybe a favorite memory or, or, or a mm -hmm. funny memory that you have of, of being on the road? Yeah, I mean, I could tell you uh, every night with the Bare Naked Ladies was an edu education. They're brilliant performers and they really taught me something about playing live. And then every night playing with the Fugees, looking side stage and looking at Lauren Hill, I just said, wow, I think I'm watching a legend in the making. And then months later, she became a legend. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because as as a producer, in, in many ways, you're responsible for the overall sound, maybe even nurturing some talent. Um, how do you, for you, how can you tell when somebody has the, the it factor, they call it? Like, is, is, there, is there a characteristic that, that, that you see? Yeah. Yeah, you just know. So it's just most of the time to come. The real ones come in the form of a humility, and then and then there's a whole profoundness to the things they say, the way they look at life, how it's just an extension of their hearts and their souls. Not it's not put on. Ninety percent of everyone else is put on, or ninety percent of everyone just wants to be something. You know, some people are just it that thing. You know, you, you joke that Ace of Base was an Indian, a Trinidadian, and an Italian, um, which, which speaks not, I think, not only to Toronto's diversity, but but Canada's a, a, as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. Multiculturalism multiculturalism is a word that that we hear a lot uh, in mm -hmm. in Canada. Mm -hmm. How how does the the concept of multiculturalism enhance the art that is coming out of out of this country and, and, and what it means to be Canadian. It's, it's everything. It's everything. There's no, there, there's no, there's no sound without it. It wasn't always like that. It was a rock city. It was a country place, but now it's that like in, you go to Toronto, everybody knows something about Caribbean culture. No one like, you know what I mean? It's in everything. So that's all I could say about that. I and I I know you're you're in Vancouver uh, on on the West Coast now. What any musical differences you notice between uh, the big city of Toronto and, and the big city of Vancouver? Yeah, I think there's incredible talent everywhere. I think Vancouver's a younger city, and and I love the idea of what it's going to be rather than what it is. And I love the thing I love about Toronto is like I love what it is because we've been fighting for that for so long. And Vancouver's on its way of becoming that as well. It's been years and years since anything broke out of here, and I think it's about to happen soon. Do you think? Do you think Canada? You know, we're, we're like a show like Shit's Creek, for example, which did you know it cleaned up at yeah. the end. That's that's you know television, but is is Canadian art maybe finally starting to get a little more respect? Yeah. Yeah, it's always gotten respect, but that more more people know about it now. What, know? Do you what do you, what do you you know as someone who who's been in the business a while, what do you attribute that to? Is it just more exposure because of technology in, in the internet? Is it it's yeah, Drake, that much yeah. better? <laughs> Seriously, I think it's Drake. I think it's the Drake effect. I think it's because he talks about Canada, Toronto, 
Vancouver, he talks about the culture and the place he's from and how we speak. And then all of a sudden the whole world's interested because right now if you go to LA and you get a meet, you try to get a meeting and you don't get the meeting and all of a sudden you tell them you're Canadian, it changes the whole game because of that. Uh, I, I, I want to touch on the, the, the three Grammys you won only because uh, two of them were for working with Eminem. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he was an artist, you know, especially late 90s, early 2000s, that was wildly misunderstood. You know, he, he was a white man in a black man's game. His lyrics were often m m misconstrued. What, what did you enjoy about, about working with Eminem and, and, and what did you see in him? Well, for me, it's working on that record was totally God driven, God centered, because the record is called Recovery. The songs that I'm a, the songs that I've been part of were about forgiveness and 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 just being happy for people and 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 so my experience with it was completely like there's no reason why I should have been on an old record that he did that wasn't on some other thing right it just made sense that I was on this record and, and every record from then on that I've been a part of with him has always been positive right and and he's just simply the best he's the greatest. MC ever and now I think it's Kendrick and it's, every generation has its thing but I'm so proud that I got to work with the best of my generation you you you, you mentioned this idea of forgiveness and you know in the last couple of years we've heard the term cancel culture a lot um, mm -hmm. are, are 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 people too quick to be uh, to 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 dismiss something and and yeah to, like, uh, ha have we lost that art of maybe for forgiving people for their sins, so to speak? Yeah, we have. And I think social media makes everything so immediate. So you can make a post, you can like, you could discriminate, you can insult in a heartbeat. So yes, people think without, think, you know, people act without thinking. But I, I, I guess the I guess the, the flip side of that would be, you know, as as someone in the public eye, mm -hmm. how much more conscious are you of, of what you say publicly, whether it's in an interview or, 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 or on social media? I mean, you're aware of it more than ever, but at the same time, you want to be your authentic self. You want to be able to express who you are and some things I might say might offend people, some things might up, uplift people and inspire people but yeah it affects you can't help it you can't help it it's around you every second every day we come home to my family and we're just like hey did you hear he got covid hey did you hear this happened you know like you talk about it all the time i don't i don't like that my 14 year old was able to see that man get shot and choked you know back in uh, growing up that would be considered a smut tape and you would have to go onto the street and go to a head shop and they have sick things like that. Now you just see it every day. It's it's been normalized, right? Yeah. So what 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 do you what do you I'm curious, what what do you tell your kid, you know, about about that and, and, and what he's exposed to on the internet? Well first of all, our kids are way smarter than we, we give them credit for. They know what's going on in the world and they know that it's wrong. But then you have a you, t you talk to them and, and you make sure they're not desensitized and that this is not a normal thing and, and that you know, we have to love our neighbors and be kind and, 
and, and forgiving and, and that God, you know, put God at the center of everything that you do. So we teach them things like that. And they know these things already too. We just affirm. Artistically, musically, creatively, have, have your kids taught you anything? Every day, yes. Yes, they're really hard to impress. They have amazing taste. And uh, yeah, and you just, they're the next generation that are teaching me. You know, I, I, I wish record companies can hire young people, literally, because they know what's up. They know what's next. You know, and on that note, it, it strikes me that I, I think the way we release music now is changing, especially in quarantine. It, you know, it, mm -hmm. you used to have a full album and then you would maybe pick a single off that. But now it mm -hmm. seems the reverse. We're seeing a lot of singles, a song here, a song there, before a full album comes together. Is that mm -hmm. just the nature of the times and, and, and with quarantine? Or is, is it... No, it's, all, it's been like that for decades now. Ever since the internet's been huge. Um, yeah, we, we have a shorter attention span. You know, I think we treat singles like records. And then once in a while, when an entire body of work comes out, it's great if it's great. But I don't know anyone that wants to hear 12 songs in a row from the same artist, you know? Do, do, does that put less pressure than in an artist because they... Nah, nothing's, changed in the, nothing's changed in the way of pressure. You still kind of make good music and then you still got to worry about putting stuff out, you know? Um, you, take, you know what, brother? I hate to do this, but I got to run soon. Oh yeah, no worries. We 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 can wrap up. Sorry, sorry for keeping you a little bit longer, it, but uh, it's okay. No, no, I, I've enjoyed talking to you so much. We it's all good. I appreciate it. I I, I know we uh, I know we all have lives, <laughs> yeah. especially these days. Well, uh, I'll just well I'll just end by saying uh, the new single is falling, uh, yes. and it and it features Estero and mm -hmm. uh, Tarun Nayar from Delhi to Dublin on the tabla. Uh, and the acoustic version is out now on YouTube. Chin and Jetty, thanks so much for, for taking yes. the time with me today. Of course. That was my conversation with Grammy and Juno Award-winning musician, songwriter, and producer, Chin and Jetty. His new single, Falling, can be viewed on YouTube now. A few months ago, I got to talk with one of the stars of the new season of the hit Netflix show, You. And a couple weeks ago, I got to speak with another star of that same show, Carmela Zimbado, who played the role of Delilah Alves in season two. But beyond her appearance in You, Carmela has also appeared in episodes of The Magician, Rosewood, NCIS Los Angeles, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, NCIS New Orleans, Scream, and Graceland. She also appears in the new film, The Wall of Mexico, opposite Isai Morales, Jackson Rathbone, Moises Arias, Xander Berkeley, and Muriel Hemingway. This is my conversation with Carmela Zimbado.
show coming to you live from Arizona. <laughs> oh, how is it? Uh, how is it doing a road trip in during a pandemic? It brings out the neurosis in me for sure. But my sister and I have been super careful and sanitizing everything. We're visiting family on the East Coast. So it's better. It's better than flying, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I I can imagine. You know, it's it's funny. You mentioned you were with your sister, and you you, you seem to have a, an interesting relationship with with your on screen sister uh, in in in, <laughs> in in this movie. Did you uh, take any inspiration from real life for that? Oh, absolutely. I actually have two sisters. There's three of us. So that's what kind of initially drew me to the Wild Mexico script was just this really bizarre but also beautiful um, natural unfolding of, of this type of sister dynamic on on film that I certainly related to but was also intrigued by because they're kind of weirdos. But I definitely drew from my own dynamic within my sisters, and that's what really got me into the script initially. You know, it's funny. I, I made a note while watching the film. I think I wrote down uh, Mexican Kardashians. Um, <laughs> that is so funny. With, like, some kind of Ivy League education on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I, you know, I'm just curious because, you know, you obviously, uh, Xenia and, and Tanya are obviously c come from a wealthy family. What Was that, was sort of that... The, the Kardashians and, and that lifestyle, was that anything you looked for inspiration at? I kind of just drew from the fact that um, because they're so wealthy and because they were obviously clearly born into this type of privilege, um, it's a privilege that they're able to just, you know, sit around and do drugs and drink alcohol without any consequence all day long and just sit around their philosophical theory and kind of live in excess in a way and it's definitely privileged based so I thought that was something that yeah maybe that Kardashian aspect but with with something deeper is not something that you typically see in movies so I thought that was a pretty cool aspect of the film. Speaking of uh, philosophical theories I was intrigued by by the one scene where you and Marisol speak the same lines, one of you's mouthing and, and, and one of you's actually saying the, the, the theory. Um, how did how did the two of you practice that to get your mouths in sync? That is so funny you ask because that was one of the hardest things to film just because we're supposed to come across as if Tanya doesn't know what he meant is about to say, but obviously Marisol has to have the lines memorized in her mind. So it was really tricky to try to convey that she's actually reading my lips when she really does know what I'm going to say and she can't really show that anticipation. But I definitely thought that little scene was an interesting device where the directors were able to kind of spew Jimena's critical theory um, thoughts in a different way that might have you pay closer attention to it just because of how it's delivered in that in that bizarre way. You, you do have most of the scenes... Um in the film with Marisol, how would you describe your, your, your working relationship as, as actors and as, as sisters? Um, I remember when they had us do chemistry reads before they casted the roles. Um, they had us read together in front of the directors and she initially annoyed me and I was like, oh, 
perfect. This is great. That's exactly what I want to feel right now. The way that she delivered the lines and she was kind of like, we were seated next to each other in two seats, but she was kind of like all over me and on top of me and I felt genuinely annoyed. And I was like, oh, I hope they cast her as Tanya because this is exactly, you know, maybe part of her dichotomy in the relationship. But um, we, once we got to know each other as just, who we are outside of our characters we had a really instantaneous bond that we were lucky to build off of so it was just so much fun to work with her for that long and we also had a couple months to prepare for the film before we actually started filming and we really got to know each other and she's still a great friend to this day what was it like having uh two directors that you worked with sort of simultaneously in in, in zach and, and magdalena I love that we were able to have two perspectives. They work so incredibly well together. They never step on each other's toes or really conflict with each other's directing styles. And it was just kind of like being able to have a more well-rounded perspective of what the vision for the film was rather than just coming from one person. The fact that it was two just felt like this multiplied sense of um, being able to really grasp what the vision was. So... They're amazing. I bow down to them. They're two of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, you you mentioned that you, you had a, a little bit of, of time to prepare and a little bit of rehearsal process, which isn't always the case uh, when filming. Sometimes you have to go straight into it. How did how did that help you uh, establish your character in context of this of this greater story? It helped so much because I really know they wanted Jimena to be this offshoot of a character, especially this deviation from typical Latina stereotypes that you see in movies and TV. And they really wanted her to be kind of this almost robotic cyborg-like character that just spews these theories and isn't necessarily driven by emotion or by uh, the need to impress sexually or anything other than just swimming within her own thoughts. Um, and that's something that I feel is a scarcity within Hollywood scripts. It was so cool to be able to play this character who's so offbeat. So it really helped to be able to have two months to converse with the directors and kind of distill her down to what exactly they wanted to see as as far as her weird quirks and nuances go. I know one of her theories is this idea of Mexico versus Mexico. Um, what what do you what do you make of her theory around that? So what's cool is that because the film takes place in Southern California, we're just you know a few miles away from the real Mexico, but incidentally there has been this crypto nation formed within their own town where it's almost its own Mexico because everybody else in the town happens to be white Americans and they regard their compound almost as this own independent nation of itself where things work differently. And obviously as the story unfolds, you can kind of get a sense of why it exists as this almost micro nation with everybody around it trying to either gain something from it or wonder about it or have their own theories about what's going on within that compound. And so I think she kind of relates that within the um, her her little intellectual spewings that she goes off on about. 
you know, we're there's there's one scene um, where where Don has an exchange with a, another cowboy who says everyone is racist subconsciously, and that and that struck me, especially you know, given the the time that we're living in, and you know, with what what we're seeing with 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 all the protests. Um, looking back is is that something that you thought about at all uh during the making of this is sort of the the racial tensions and and, and the racial differences i think it's a, it's something on the more sadly it's now more on the forefront of everybody's minds but it was something that that i was able to um to definitely delve deeper into because it raises a good point. I think there's a lot of um, subconscious biases that we all have that we're afraid to admit or just completely unaware of in, in different ways and all across the board. And I think it's a good step in the right direction that we're all pondering that a lot more frequently now. And it's sad that certain instances have had to occur for us to get to this point where we're even able to discuss subconscious racism in a mainstream way but it's definitely a step in the right direction you know the 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 film deals with this well and and this mysterious source of water um was there any discussion with the actors and and the and the the directors about what actually the water was in the well and the mystery behind it able to read the whole script um, and talk about what it represents and everything. And for me, it's really just this idea of when something is made out to be a myth to you and you believe it as a reality, then it kind of does become your reality. So, yeah, technically the water wasn't anything special. Um, but if you believe something to be something that it's not, that immediately becomes your reality. So maybe to some other people, it is something special. And... Um, I think it just represents myth and, and illusion and this idea of of building your own reality to be what you what however you perceive it. How much water did you have to drink throughout filming? Because you're always seen sipping water. A lot, I would say gallons, and I'm glad we were able to stay hydrated because we filmed in. We actually filmed in Mexico, and it was really hot, so I, I was I was happy to have the extra hydration. <laughs> um, and I I know you you have a a couple other um projects coming up as well. What can you tell us, if anything, about White Elephant? That's going to be a huge deviation from Wall of Mexico. It'll be it was really fun to film something completely different. It's a really lighthearted uh, Christmas romantic comedy that centers around a white elephant gift exchange um, between four different couples and the drama that kind of ensues the night of that Christmas party. It was really fun to film. We shot it quarantine style in three days, and we got tested every day and had to really reduced the size of our film crew. So it was a really uh, brilliant coronavirus project that those producers and, and our director, Corey Moss, were able to nail down in a really safe, uh, COVID-friendly way. What was it like shooting an entire film in three days? It was crazy. Luckily, the whole film happens at this one party. So we were able to almost shoot it like a play, just straight through, not, not very many takes for each scene, and we rehearsed it a lot beforehand. 
and just kind of filmed each scene as it went, almost chronologically. Um, and yeah, somehow it, it happened, and um, I can't wait to see the final product. Do you do you enjoy doing comedy? Yeah, I love comedy. I think that's really where my heart is. I, I hope the next thing I can do is some kind of cool multi-cam network comedy or something like that because I, I really do love to make people laugh. Um, and I got to ask, I know you were in a very hot uh, TV show this past year, You. Uh, you're actually the, the second guest I've had recently who was in uh, the second series of You. Um are you allowed to say whether you're going to be in season three or not? I'm not allowed to, but let's just say hopefully I can come back in some kind of spiritual nature, like a ghost or something, but <laughs> not looking too good for Delilah, but I can't say either way. Fair, because you, you never know with a show like that, right? I mean, they could do anything, pretty much. Right. Um, who else did you have on the show? Uh, Ma uh, Magda Apanovich, who... I think. Oh, awesome! Yeah, she plays Will's mom. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's great. We had a we had a great talk. She had a a film out earlier this summer called Volition, which is like this kind of t time bending adventure thriller. It's really good. Oh, awesome! She's I can't wait to see that. She's such a great actress. Yeah. Um. And and she's we're sort of from the same neighborhood, so we we got to hang out a bit. It was cool. Oh, cool. Um. You know, you 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 mentioned how you shot um white elephant during uh you know during during the pandemic how do you think film is going to to weather the storm what do you think the industry will look like when we come out of this i think everyone really cares a lot about health and safety of not just the cast and crew but of family members that cast and crew have to go home to so i'm really glad that people are putting a lot of effort into figuring out how we can continue um because ultimately, when everything shut down initially, it was TV and film was what kept a lot of us sane and is what keep, is keeping us a lot, uh, keeping a lot of us entertained still. So there's definitely always going to be a need for it. Um, and I think after all this is done, we'll be able. I, I think we're, there's still going to be a sense of safety and the sense of need to really put health in the forefront of things. So I, I know there might be films I, I i don't know what's gonna happen with with things like crowd scenes and background extras and if we're ever gonna get back to a place anytime soon where there's more than 10 people in one frame i mean even less than that but um i'm, I'm really glad to see that there's been efforts made into being able to ramp up productions again in the safest way possible do you think do you think we'll see more love for indie films rather than the traditional blockbuster I think so, just because you have a lot more control. I think with, with indie films, it doesn't require, it, it can require a smaller crew, smaller cast, smaller budget. So in that sense, there's a lot of control where you're able to just go with the flow and be able to adjust as needed. I, I'm sure it's a lot harder with blockbuster films that require a lot more moving parts. So I think that's a really great point. I, I, I really do hope that we see an increase in indie films. And that that's just one positive that comes out of all of this. Do you think people are going to appreciate art better now that we're relying on it more? I hope so. I think that's a really beautiful thought because definitely we have to credit artists of all kinds 
as a huge source of our relief during these really challenging times. So I think that's an important thought for sure that we've been able to rely on art as our escape and relief. And that's definitely a beautiful thing. Um, there was, there's a, there's a great line that I think Michael says in the film about, um, evolve or die. Um, and, and how do you think, you know, we've talked about how, how films are, are going to, uh, sort of evolve during this time. Have you, have you thought about how, how you evolved as uh, an actress and a performer during this time? I think I've definitely had this time to be able to think about how, how the human condition is just so reliant on upon one another and that's evident when you're filming any kind of tv show or movie but only now is it more magnified on how we truly do need one another we need every moving part we really need each other and i know that that being able to meditate on that is always going to really carry into whatever work i do next and just being able to even further honor human interaction and and the reliance that we have on one another and and being able to honor that in in all that I do. Do you have a a favorite moment from filming The Wall of Mexico? I loved filming the opening party scene because it felt like a real dance party and everybody who played the party goers were so much fun. There's really good dancers and a lot of it obviously didn't make the cut of the film, but we just filmed this one big dance break for so long and it was a lot of fun just to get to dance with strangers and listen to Baja Frequencia super loud. They're really great bands that we used for a lot of the film soundtrack, so that was a lot of fun. How, how and much... I miss crowds. I miss dancing in crowds. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm just curious. You know, how how much did uh, Jackson and and uh, Xander sort of em- embrace the uh, or 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 get into the the Latino dance music, if at all? Oh, they're super about it. They were really awesome about embracing the Mexican culture because even though the film takes place in South Southern California. As I said, we did film in Mexico, and they loved being able to observe that culture, and we all did. It was really fun on weekends to be able to go um, do things around the town and, and honor the, the fact that these two cultures were able to come together, these two countries were able to come together and make a brilliant art piece. It was really cool that half the crew was Mexican, half was American, and it was just beautiful to, to see that coming together. You know, it's interesting. The, the film, obviously... The film's title obviously can have political connotations, the Wall of Mexico. Um, but as you alluded to, the the film was you know half Mexican crew and, and, and half American crew. Do do you see the states coming together more right now in in terms of you know working better with with other cultures, or do you or do you fear that it's becoming more divided? I do feel that we are becoming more divided, but underneath it all, there's been a really great sense of intention of, of I don't I don't really lose hope because I see a huge sense of intention for unification, and I just hope that that's the positive that comes out of this disruption within the nation right now, and obviously when you're dealing with any themes of borders or walls or barriers, it just it just brings division to the forefront of, of, of things. But art 
will always be something that can connect us with other cultures and other countries and people that are dissimilar to ourselves. So that's another reason why, um, I'll, you know, we have we definitely have artists of all kinds to thank for any sort of emotional or mental unification that we can have when physically that's not possible. Well, the film is The Wall of Mexico, and it is being released on October the 18th, if I'm correct. Uh, enjoy your cross-country road trip. Uh, Carmela, thanks so much for, for taking the time today. Thank you so much for hanging out. It's such a great chat. Alrighty, take care. Stay safe. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with Carmela Zimbado. She's the co-star of the new film, The Wall of Mexico which is being released on October the 18th. That does it for me today. On Saturday, I will have guests Lara Gallagher and Michelle Latimer. And stay tuned for episodes featuring animator Richard J. Gasparian and filmmaking team Ruckus and Sky. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye. For now. I always like to have a lot of sex. <laughs>